Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Before we start, uh, friend Becky's going to read our, what's it called? Mission statement? Mission, Mission statement. <clears throat> Again, it's just a, a way to kind of remind us how we join as a Sangha and some gentle guidelines. So, BBCRMC purpose. <clears throat> Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center preserves and presents a human Buddhist Dhamma initially recorded as the second book of the Pali Canon, the Sutta Pitaka. Our practice is informed from over 300 curated suttas restored by John to their original intent and practical focus. Our practice is empty of imagined insight, magical thinking, mystical grasping after, and unfounded speculation. <clears throat> Our teachers and students remain focused on these suttas to develop <clears throat> a direct mindful experience of establishing a well-concentrated, supple, and conflict-free mind through the Eightfold Path. It is the Eightfold Path that Siddhartha Gautama taught over the last 45 years of his life with the sole purpose of abandoning self-inflicted stress and suffering through ending the ignorance of four noble truths. BBCRMC Sangha class guidelines. Patasmasha <clears throat> means toward liberation. These guidelines support a well-informed and well-focused Sangha and established the most effective environment for Dhamma practice, always focused on liberation from ignorance. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center is a true refuge from the chaos in the world and ideological contradictions and foundational confusion prevalent in modern Buddhism by common agreement. Our practice is framed by the Eightfold Path, which establishes a skillful balance of genre meditation, Sutta study, Sangha participation, and daily individual Dhamma practice. When gathered for Dhamma class, we refer only to the Buddhist Dhamma as, as restored by John and presented by our teachers. When gathered as a Sangha, we accept responsibility for maintaining the gentle integrity of our Sangha. Yeah. When gathered as a Sangha, we are free of grasping after magical, mystical, and speculative concepts and fabricated experiences. When gathered as a Sangha, we practice wise restraint, questions or confusion about verbiage or arising from comparisons to other modern Buddhist practices. Modern Buddhist teachers or what they are teaching are not part of our Dhamma classes or Sangha discussions and should be addressed directly to our teachers outside of Java class. Individual class suttas are linked in our newsletter for home study prior to class. Thank you.
Adam, that is Dhamma practice. You're a Sangha member. You're practicing the Dhamma. The Dhamma is the Buddha and the example of a living person that gained awakening. The teachings, the Dhamma, and a well-focused Sangha, which is what we have. Uh, that's practice. So it's not hard. Keep it simple, be gentle. And uh, again, anyone in this class can answer your questions and uh, you'll find a pretty consistent message. So let's get to the teaching. Uh, this is the Kakayana Gata Sutta. Uh, Kakayana was a, a, a monk. And he had a question. The Buddha was staying at Savati, at Jita's Grove, at Athapadinka's monastery. The monk Kakyana Gata approached the Buddha with a question. I don't understand right view. Can you teach me right view relative to the world? So right off the bat, Kakyana is confused. Uh, he understands without right view, there is no practice toward awakening. You have to have at least that basic understanding and the Buddhist right off the bat, he doesn't waste any time uh, answering that question. Kakakana, the confusion and deluded thinking in the world arises from polarizing views. There is the view of permanent existence and a view of permanent non-existence. When the origination of confused and deluded thinking is understood and abandoned from right view, it is seen that non-existence does not occur. Furthermore, when the cessation of confusion and deluded thinking is understood and abandoned from right view, it is seen that existence does not occur. So what's craving? If we think about what craving is, there's three types of craving. There's the sense desire craving. There's the craving for a permanent existence. And there's a craving for non-existence. That's it. So later on, when we get into the dependent origination, when it comes to craving, those are the three types. Those are the only three types. Think it through. Come up with examples, and it will fall into one of those three buckets. That's that's it. And if you think about permanence and a permanent self or non-existence, meaning an aversion, those are cravings. As John says, it's two sides of the same coin. So John's comments, the first factor of the Eightfold Path is right view, is ultimately viewing the world of any notion of permanent self. There's no me here. There is not me. This is not mine. The Buddha continues, the world, most people, the uninstructed of the Buddhist teachings, is sustained by attachment, by clinging to conditional thinking and wrong views, rooting in ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. One who has developed right view no longer clings to attachments or fixated conditioned thinking or self-obsession. 
It is understood that stress arising is stress is arising. It is understood that stress passing away is stress passing away. So stress is another word for dukkha, that there's dukkha arising and dukkha passing. That's it. All conditioned things are impermanent. So therefore, everything is dukkha. You're rising in the passing away. It's just that breathing in and breathing out. That's what you're experiencing. It's a metaphoric way to think about it. So when you have a situation where you feel stress and you fall back to breathing in, that's what you're experiencing, the arising of dukkha and the passing away of dukkha. That's what the first noble truth is. The view that everything exists is a wrong view. And the view that nothing exists is another wrong view. My Dhamma avoids extreme views. I teach the Eightfold Path as a middle way that avoids extreme views. The middle way shows from ignorance of the Four Noble Truths as a requisite condition comes arising fabrications. So this is dependent origination. Don't get caught up into memorization and trying to grasp all this at once. Just know that this is a moment. This is absolutely a moment. If it's rooted in ignorance, this happens. It's a zip line to dukkha. It's a moment. And of course, each moment builds into a lifetime. So if it's based in ignorance, these things will happen. If you have understanding, these things still exist, but there's not I in there. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. Of course, you still exist, but you have an understanding that Dukkha arises and Dukkha passes away. Of course, there's tragedy in our lives, but we don't attach to it. We're not so attached to this love, this thing, this thought, this ideology. It's all impermanent. It arises and passes away. The understanding that the Buddha is promising by following the Eightfold Path is that when you get to that point of contact, which we'll run into, that it's not based on selfishness and conceit. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. So if there's foundation of ignorance, you're attaching to each one of these things. You're starting to name things. I like that cup. I like this weather. I like this, this person. I like that color. And of course, it can be disappointing when that doesn't occur. That's dukkha. And all these are really based on if there's ignorance, then as I, from the sixth sense base, which of course is how we experience the world, the requisite condition comes contact. Of course, that means as you come in contact with the world, is it based on ignorance of the Four Noble Truths or a growing understanding that do good ex exists? 
from contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. And of course, there's three types of feelings. You can feel a pleasant feeling, an unpleasant feeling, or kind of like that blah feeling that most of our lives are. And again, if it's based on ignorance, when that pleasant feeling goes away, you feel stress. When you don't get what you want, you feel stress. If you have an understanding that all things arise and pass away, that's the second arrow stuff that we're talking about. That second arrow that you experience when you don't get your way. And that's our responsibility. The second arrow is our responsibility. And that's what, in this heady thing of dependent origination, that's really what they're talking about. They're talking about at that point of contact, do you understand the Four Noble Truths, which doesn't let you dodge the tragedies of life and the uncomfortableness of life, but it lets you understand that second arrow that is absolutely our responsibility. It's all ours. It all happens in our head. It's, it's the thing that's challenging this thing I've created my whole life to present to you all and hope that you don't figure out that I'm a fraud. And that's exactly what that is. So at that point of contact, if there's understanding, that's when you have that moment that Bahia had, that the scene is the scene, that the, the herd is the herd, as cognized it's the cognized. I don't have to have any stress in that contact. And that's where that calm is. These are all promises to me that if I have my practice and I continually have that experience of understanding that there's no foundation of ignorance for this dependent origination. There's a lot of different ways to think about dependent origination. The one I liked the best was a pillar. Some people think of it as a chain. I think it as a pillar. And at the bottom is either wisdom or ignorance. And if there's no ignorance, it just crumbles because it's not built on anything except wisdom. So everything I experience is seen as a Bahia did. It's seen and only seen. I don't have to put that judgment on anything. From contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. Again, there's only three kinds of craving. And it goes back to the Buddha's original statements. And the two of them are uh, the craving for uh, a permanent me, a permanent, like I want what I want. And if I don't get what I want, I'm not going to be happy. Or I don't want this. And if I have that, I'm not happy. What the Buddha is saying is release yourself from that. Release yourself from this attachment to things and ideas. And there's a release from that stress. And there's a promise of that calm. <clears throat> From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. This is where you 
are starting to see the aggregates. What are we clinging to? The self, feelings, perceptions, fabrications, this thinking, this consciousness that I have, I cling to it. And that's all based on this ignorance down here. And I cling to it, I'm fighting for it. And it causes me pain because it's what I know. It's what I understand. It's what I am. Without that clinging, then there's just peace. From clinging and maintaining as requisite condition comes becoming, becoming further ignorant. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. And again, it's if you get into the mystical aspects of Buddhism, you can get mired into years of trying to figure those two things out. I've seen him try to do becoming. And it's, you know, you can tackle it for years. And again, John has provided us a, uh, a clean way to look at it that resolves itself in the eightfold path. So birth is just, it's another moment of birth of either ignorance or wisdom. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition comes aging, sickness, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. Such is the origination of extreme views and the entire mass of confusion, delusion, and stress. Now, from the remainless fading and sensation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrication. So the Buddha is saying, without this ignorance, all these things still occur, but there's no I in it. There's no stress that we're contributing to it. And I guess that's really what this practice is. We're not contributing to the stress that just occurs in life. He's not going to say you're going to not have pain or distress or despair, death, sorrow. Those things are things we all share, but I have a cleaner understanding of those things. And I understand that the first noble truth is dukkha. I'm not dodging that. There's no promise of that going away, but my understanding allows me to have a more gentle approach toward it. And we all have our different versions of that dukkha. And this is the answer. So now, from the remainless fading away and cessation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. From cessation of fabrications come the cessations of consciousness. And of course, you still are thinking, but it's not based in ignorance. It's based in an understanding. So when you think about your practice and you sit twice a day, it's not to do something in a rote manner. It's to establish jhana meditation so you have the mindfulness to have insight. And those only insights that you'll ever have of any use in this practice are the insights to the three marks of existence. And that's it. Anything more is all curious and maybe useful, but impermanence, that this is not me, 
and dukkha. Those are the three insights. Those are the only three insights that mean anything in this practice. So when you sit and you're experiencing the arising and passing away of all things, that's that insight. That's the answer to at the bottom of the pillar is the ignorance. So all these things still exist, six sense base, so on, they all exist. But again, the seen is simply seen. The felt is simply felt. I don't have to judge that cup. I don't have to judge this pretty day. And if it's not pretty, that I don't insist on it. And there's all much more, way better examples, but it's the same thing from the most common mundane to worldly events that we see every day. It's the same solution. It's the same, there's dukkha. From the cessation of name and form comes the cessation of the sixth sense media. From the cessation of the sixth sense media comes the cessation of contact. From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of feeling. And again, it's not saying you don't have feelings, but they're simply feelings. They arise and they pass away. From the cessation of feelings comes the cessation of craving. This is where it's important because you've now been released. You don't crave for sense desires in the way that you did before this practice, you still enjoy that cup of tea on a sunny day, but you don't insist on it. That contact with the world is much lighter. You can talk to the person that before this practice, you were diametrically opposed to him and hated and resented everything about him. And now you can listen to him as simply something that's occurring. And that's hard on a street corner and it's hard in traffic and it's hard in the world, but this is what this practice is. It's not personal. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. These aggregates are just my reference point. This reference point to the world And if I cling to it as if this is me, then I will always be disappointed because I don't understand impermanence. And therefore there'll be dukkha that I'm contributing to. And that's what we're looking at here. The contribution of dukkha. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of clinging and sustenance. From the cessation of clinging and sustenance comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of birth. From the cessation of birth and aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair all cease. Again, you don't dodge any of that, but you dodge, you're released from clinging, thinking that needs to be something different than it is. And I certainly, as a person becoming uh, at the tail end of my life, that gives me comfort because I understand it. 
It's not a faith thing. It's an understanding thing. I understand that this is arising and passing away. So again, from the little to the biggest, it's the same equation. Such is the cessation of the entire mass of stress and suffering. Now this monks is the noble truth of stress. Birth is stressful, aging is stressful, death is stressful, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair are stress. They're dukkha. Association with the unloved is stressful. Separation from the loved is stressful. Not getting what is wanted is stressful. In short, the five clinging aggregates are stressful. They are impermanent. And to talk about the emptiness nature of the aggregates, that's one of the things that, you know, this course, this study was so important to me because it seemed so clear that the, these aggregates are empty. They're empty because I don't own them. I don't control them. I can't do anything but manipulate them on a very local basis. But I cannot tell myself not to grow old. I cannot wake up and control how I feel at that moment. It's just they're empty. I don't have domain over them. It doesn't mean that I can't have drive and ambition, but it's in, it's framed in that Eightfold Path, that right view. That's what this is all about. Everything, even the Eightfold Path is all to show you if you're in right view. Your right effort is simply to point you to right view. You know, speech, action, livelihood, those are all indicators. You can't practice right speech without right view. It can't happen. You can be polite, you can be friendly, but if it's not based in right view, it's truly temporary and it's more willpower. But if it's right view, it's foundational. It's just what you become. And that's, again, the practice, right? Effort should only always be pointing toward right view, the understanding that there is stress. And this, monks, is the noble truth of origination of stress. The cravings that make or further becoming, accompanied by passion and delight, relishing now, here, and now, there. And this, monks, is the noble truth of the cessation of stress. The remainderless fading and cessation, renunciation, relinquishment, release, letting go of this very craving. And this, monks, is the noble truth of the way of practice of cessation of stress. Precisely this eightfold path. Right view, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. These are the words of the Buddha. Thank you. Don't get too caught up in the dependent origination. You don't have to learn it all. You don't have to understand it all. But within that, just know that ignorance and then the cessation of ignorance 
is based on right view. So let's go around the room. I'm going to go with you first since you have to leave. Adam? Um, up until this point, I had a um, murky and confused understanding of right view. I was overcomplicating it. Um, and uh, through this teaching, um, it's become sharply focused mm. and simplified. It's, you know, it was, it's not um, all these different things I have to sort of pull together at once. It's just the understanding that that spec is not me, not mine. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's um, now, now, now dependent origination makes a lot more sense to me. Um, and the rest of the, you know, the eightfold path. Well, so it fits together now. And mm. up until that, up until this point, it's been, I've been chasing around a bit, but haven't quite, you know, keeps tripping over my own feet. <laughs> so thank you very, very much. Thank you. Uh, again, the, the Buddha corrected Ananda. The most important thing is the Sangha. Mm. And it, like you could say, well, it's more important than the Buddha. It's more important than the, the, the teachings, it's the most important thing in this practice because it allows all of us to see someone who's here for the second class or someone who's been a lifetime as an adult practitioner and studier and to try to understand it. And it gives you all the stories. It gives you all the support. This isn't a club. This is a well-focused group of 10 to 25 people that have been coming for you know various years 10 years or two days all with trying to understand the ignorance of the four noble truths it's not your ignorance it's a very specific ignorance and john will say it be gentle with yourself have good effort right effort and uh, again, you'll have these insights that you get to share with us. So thank you. Ron, just in case you have to leave. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm struck by the fact that um, when it comes to an explanation of right view, the first thing that the Buddha teaches is dependent origination. Um, <clears throat> and I've, I've wondered in the past <clears throat> why, you know, what is this dependent origination all about? You know, why, why does he teach that at all? You know, because it's, it's kind of complicated. Um, and <clears throat> I see it basically as a, a teasing apart of this craving. Mm -hmm. it, craving sits in the middle of the of the four noble truths, and it pivots around there. And the dependent origination does the same thing. The, the first section is this is what leads to craving, and then the last three is this is what happens, you know, when you mm -hmm. give in to craving. <clears throat> and and yeah, it's complicated, but um, 
with some study and understanding, it leads to the understanding of the dependencies in there. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called dependent origination. Once you understand how one depends on the other, um, that's where you can stop the process. Mm -hmm. The building blocks. It, they're building blocks that change whichever way you want to want to see it. But it, the understanding of the dependencies of one to the other, that's pretty much all that he's, he's teaching here. Mm -hmm. And um, and that leads directly into right here. Each one of those understandings is, is a, again, a building block to right here. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you. Brian. Morning, David. Thank you for the, the teaching this morning. Um, just to maybe parlay or piggyback off Ram, I think of it as a, a house of cards. Uh, and each one of those cards, if you get all 12 of them stacked together, create your ego personality. But if you pull one of those cards out, the whole thing collapses. It starts to collapse. Yeah. And this whole practice is about abandoning those views that continually establish the ego in, in the world. And, and abandoning that, that ego again, the stress doesn't go away, but your, your experience of that stress and your personalization of that stress does mm -hmm. and everything just becomes the arising and passing all, all conditioned things everything from a flower to a sun they all arise and pass away so i appreciate the teaching this morning thank you thank you and you know it also teaches us that we're not broken things that we're not oh. we're not here to be fixed it's, we're here to understand how dukkha occurs and then how it passes and it allows us then to look at our individual boogeyman and not contemplate it away or wrestle it down but to understand it and that's a more foundational change versus I'm going to have this willpower to overcome my hate of somebody or a dependency that I can't conquer. But understanding allows you to truly tear down. And I think what Ram is saying is addressing these links and seeing where there's things that are remaining that you need to address in your in your practice and again it's not contemplation it's understanding and I, I think that's a more viable practice because it's not based on faith or mystical or rituals it's based on understanding our our individual experience so thank you uh jeff thank you for the teaching david um, 
Yeah, we're Adam and I are sitting here discussing how we see the Four Noble Truths as a foundation. He and I are both out of a construction background, and we think in terms of a solid foundation upon which you build. If you don't have that solid foundation, then it's inevitable that the structure upon built upon that will fail. And, um, which it will. Yeah, it's so so it's it's sort of basic, really, when you get past the, the nomenclature and terminology and things. It's a basic understanding. It's all very logical and uh, supported by the dependent origination gives us the structure or the method by which we either build correctly or build incorrectly. And of course, the Buddha's saying, here's your eightfold path. This is the path of the middle way. It's not extremes. It's not, it's a, a more gentle path because it is based on your understanding of your mind, based on your jhana practice, developing concentration, to have that refined mindfulness, to be honest with yourself, to absolutely be honest about the anger and conceit and selfishness that comes with craving and the lightness and calmness of the practice that's developed can be seen immediately. Obviously I've seen it with everyone in this room and online through the years. And, uh, you know, we're not a big group, but we're a devotional group to the Buddha's words and John's restoration. And, uh, I never had a practice or a religion before, so I was fortunate. So thank you, Jeff. Adam. Hey, how you doing, David? Hey. I really like your word today. It was very meaningful. and I don't really know much about all the words you're saying, but I'm still learning. This is only my second class, so I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah, it's, uh, again, there's... Always can talk to John or any number of the teachers or any number of the saga members. They're all uh, open to share. And I it makes sense to me. It does make a lot of sense. And what you're saying, it's like no religion or nothing like that. So, yeah. so thank you. Thank you, David. Mary Beth, good morning. Morning, David. Hi. Uh, thanks for jumping in this morning and teaching. No problem. Um, one one thing in particular that you said that I've just—it's ne- probably been said before, but I've never really heard it—was um, this idea of the second arrow. And uh, it's just like, yeah, it just like struck me as um, so such a meaningful way to think of the suffering as you know, you just kept saying, it's all our responsibility because we cause that part. There are things that happen, right? Like that's the first arrow. Um, but yeah, we, we, we cause the rest of the, 
the suffering. And the other thing I, I like about it is that I think often it's easy to hear that in in the words that you're saying and in you know because we have to we have to talk about um, the Buddhist teachings in particular words and sometimes they'll we have to learn what the language and particular words mean. Um, so I, I especially early on found that it's easy to interpret the words as saying things that they don't really mean like like that we shouldn't um you know like the whole eye making thing that we shouldn't um make uh what am i trying to say like it, like all that whole conversation about like letting go of uh, the eye making early on to me felt like wait i'm not i'm not supposed to like have feelings and desires and wishes i'm not supposed to be myself i'm just supposed to be nobody or nothing but that's not it at all it's that yeah well, I'm kind of getting a little uh, two things sort of uh, smushed together, but the whole, you know, second arrow to me is, was like, yeah, it's not that we shouldn't be ourselves. It's that we shouldn't cling to it, which is the, what causes the suffering. And if, you know, something happens or somebody does something we didn't like, then yeah, we're going to have those feelings but we don't have to like on top of it, make all kinds of, I don't know. Like, so uh, I'm clearly, <laughs> I like this idea of the second hour. Feel free to, um, you know, like help me refine my understanding of how to apply that. But I, I just found that very, uh, very useful. It's certainly the most acceptable sutta. Uh, Slata Sutta. And again, it, we teach it often. It's one that I can, no one knows my practice outside of this, you know, room. So I don't, you know, I don't go out and do teachings. But, you know, when I've seen people suffering, I've often used parts of it. And it's a concept that's easily uh, understood by anyone when you say, you know, you're doing this to yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. And I'm always careful because when you take it out of context of this practice, it, it can, it's not going to stick. They'll remember it. And it's a, it's a clever device that the Buddha used. But if you read the Sutta, the Salata Sutta, Again, there's so many things that point back to right view because the second understanding the second arrow is simply right view that you understand that this is not me. And again, the Bahia Sutta, you know, the scene is just the scene. That's the second arrow as well. That it's it's teaching you not to take it personal because you have no control over these aggregates. These are a reference point and to think that you do have a permanent control over it, you will experience dukkha of your own making. So it's, uh, I'll send it over to you. I think I, I think I have your email address. Great. Thank you, Brian. Dr. Kevin. 
Hello. Thanks. Good morning. Yeah, it, it, um, it starts out with such a sort of innocent, simple question. You know, what is right view? I don't understand right view. I suppose the Buddha could have said, well, the right view is, you know, just understanding my Dhamma and then and getting it. But it, it just goes into such profound depth about what that is. It's almost everything that the Buddha ever taught sort of, uh, sort of in one big deep teaching. So there is so much to get out of it. And um, it does, I think, take a long time and much study to really understand the words. Um, but thank goodness we, uh, as a Sangha, have gone over pieces of this over time and we can understand it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing it all out again. Yep, it's the benefit of coming to the classes because something I say will re resonate with someone and then, you know, teacher Kevin will teach it and I'll hear something that absolutely just a different because his own experience is absolutely different than mine, but it's based on the, the teachings and the, the restorations of these suttas that John has done. So there's a, there's a clarity that is developed because, you know, Ram's not going to go off the rails with his interpretation of dependent origination off of what John does. So it's, it, it's, it's been a nice uh, way to be a student for myself. So thank you, Kevin. Okay. Slav. Good morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, everybody. I was thinking to ask you a question. So uh, how do I know it's right view? Because we all have different background. We all have different uh, kind of like uh, your parents, your society, how you educated. It's put some mark in your conscience. And what is my right view? It's not necessarily what is yours right view. But when you are starting this class and you're starting talking about craving, sensual craving, a craving not existing, and craving to existing, and it's right away answer my question. It's actually what is right view. Thank you. Well, I guess I'm a, a stickler because there's, we all have different views. We all have different backgrounds and political, and I like the Yankees or you like the Mets. We all have our preferences, but there is only one right view. As practitioners of this Sangha, it is based on the Four Noble Truths and the way it's presented in this class. It's, if it is not based on an understanding that there is dukkha and the way to be relieved of aspects of certain dukkha and understanding, then it's wrong. It's just, it's not, it's, it's not right view. And it will only cause confusion and disappointment. And chances are you'll stop practicing because you're trying to make accommodations for certain aspects of the Eightfold Path. Everything that I do in my practice points to right view. My very first thing, I, as I'm stretching this old body, I'm thinking about right view. 
and I'm, am I in right view with my practice? Am I in right view of my approach to the study of this? Am I studying for the right reasons? Am I studying toward right view? And it's, it's jhana meditation has given me the clarity to keep a pretty clean version of what right view means to me. And again, maybe it's not wrong view, but it's just not right view. So thank you. Mary Allen. Hi. Oops. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're on mute, Mayor. Hope you had it. Here, I'll go go to someone else and come back to you. Oh, here I am. Oh, there you are. So. This happened on yesterday uh, in a Teams call, too, so I have to figure out what's going don't on. Make excuses, Mary, please, don't, <laughs> don't do this. Don't make excuses. <laughs> Sorry. Giving me a hard time, Mr. Allen. Um, I think that what you said at the top of the class introducing this, um, you know, you joked, but it really was the whole nut, and um, it really was a clear... Um, description of right view. Um, you know, like anyone else, I, you know, fall out of right view. And, um, you know, it's just an ongoing practice to try, you know, to try and recognize it. And, um, and, and, you know, a couple of things, a lot of, a lot of really good things. I can't wait till John listens to this call, this recording, because there's so much beautiful things that have been shared by everyone. Like, I, I don't know if everyone realizes that just by speaking, you're articulating where you are in your practice. And so other people, you know, can see the gem of, you know, that speck of dust in your eye, whether you're just new or you've been here a long time, but you've just had a realization. So that's what David's talking about with the beauty of the Sangha, because you know, each of us become part of your moment of discovery and understanding and right view. So really grateful to the Sangha um, and to, um, you know, just all the leadership on the call. It's really nice. And I think, you know, to some of what Mary Beth was saying is, you know, when you say this is not me, this is not mine, this is not who I am, it speaks to maybe a little bit of what Slav was saying about, I have a point of view, you have a point of view, right? But that's different than right view because my point of view is not me. It is not me, it is not mine, it is not who I am. It's, it's a point of view. It's not a right view. It's not a wrong view. I'm just saying that it's, it, it, we, this is an example of what we get caught up in. I am this and I have a point of view based on this group that I've attached myself to. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not who you are. And, the, and who you are is, is what you are when all these attachments fall away from you. And what's left is who you are. 
someone who has right view, who um, understands the Four Noble Truths, uses the Eightfold Path to continue to have right view. And there are moments where I feel like I have a clearer understanding of that. And there are many moments where I'm actually living by that. I'm that I'm I'm living that in my life. And there are moments that um, I'm not. And um, I have to be gentle with myself and come back and say that the things that are triggering me or pulling me out of right view, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not who I am. And those are opportunities to say, I'm taking this personally. I'm taking that personally. And that's pulling me out of right view because I'm confused again. And I think this thing that is happening is me. And it's something I'm clinging to, something I'm hanging on to, something I think someone else is doing to me. Um, and I experienced all of that this week. So um, one day David came home and I said, I, I was in my practice today. And I used to say things like, oh, I used my practice today, like as if it was a toolbox. And David always championed against that idea that this is a toolbox. And you either are your practice or you're off the path. And that's what living in this practice means. So apologies for going on long, but really outstanding teaching, David, today. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Uh, always roll back to that insight of impermanence because the things we cling to aren't sustainable, they're impermanent. And that's the insight. That's the insight that you're gaining during your meditation. And uh, all things can be followed back to impermanence and a misunderstanding of it and thinking that somehow this is a permanent self. This is a permanent view. This, this will always be here. And, uh, you know, so that, that those are the insights that we're gaining by, you know, deepening our concentration, not for the purpose of having this, like hitting these jhanas. It's so you're deepening your ability to be mindful when those moments come up and you go, wow, those were not right words. That was not a right way to think because so much of our experiences are by ourselves. And when we have those like wrong speech in our head and it can be traced back to, we want it to be something different. So thank you. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning, thank you. Um, I really don't have anything to add to anything anybody else has said, but this teaching really did help me understand right view. I have been struggling with understanding it and uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm glad you're back. Thank you. I'm so glad you're back. Good morning. Hello, um, what you said about willpower, uh, you know, and the, the way we might approach behavior or thinking, uh, you know, 
you're living with Zika and you know it doesn't feel good. Mm. And if you realize that, you know, you have a speck in your eye and you kind of see, okay, some of this Zika is self-imposed, self-created. If you don't have this practice, you're looking around. You're thinking, okay, well, I, I would like to be more peaceful. I would like to be more self-controlled. I'd like to be all these things. And the only way to try to do those things is like willpower and thinking about things. And it's so complicated and it's so exhausting. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to get there that way. Mm-hmm. You can try so hard mm-hmm. to say, I'd like to be like this. Mm-hmm. But even in that statement, <laughs> Is the I would like to be craving, yeah, and it's just it's nuts, yeah. <laughs> and I feel so it's exhausting, yeah, it yeah, is, and I feel exhausting, yeah, it's such a struggle, it's so much work, it's it's so much effort, but it's not right effort, and that's it's not from right view, it's not from right view. And I always think of willpower, and I've used this before, willpower is like a muscle. I have this resolution to do this. I, I have willpower. And uh, willpower, if it's like a muscle, will eventually give out because it's based on this grinding it out. I'm going to conquer this thing and it's a new year and I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do this versus understanding. There's no lifting in understanding. There's no muscle of understanding. It's it's a foundation and this practice is here for people with a speck in their eye that are willing to put effort in. It's, it's hard. It's hard for mothers to carve out that five minutes. It's hard for people that are busy coming off a busy day that they've just been beaten up and to carve out that time. It's hard when you're in 20 degree weather and you're in a van it's as hard, but it's it's worth it because you don't have to rely on willpower. It's harder than you don't. And then it's the rising and passing away of dukkha. It feels like a release. It it's a release. Is, mm-hmm. In my practice, even drinking one this day, I just feel like I'm putting on such heavy weight mm-hmm. about just. Not just the weight of all the wrong view, or just not right view, but just the not needing to become anything. And suddenly, all of these steps along the way that I would have had to do to become the person I wanted to be are just washed away. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that stands between me and being that, not that person, but being peaceful and calm and truly present in your life is just the next moment or whether or not I get birth from suffering. Mm-hmm. So emotional. It feels so wonderful mm-hmm. to know that I have not control over the world and the dukkha, but I do have control over myself in the next moment and I And that's a powerful thing. That's a powerful like I think of Tom from England and you know when he's talked about this openly like He's a driven person. He's a young person with ideas and he wants to help. And I think early on he was like, he's saving the world and he's ideas. And then he's just right view. And now he just does this work, this 
and that's the same outcome. He has this drive, he has this like passion, but now it's in right view. So it doesn't mean that you're not ambitious. It just, it just looks different. There's a peacefulness to it. You have a clarity. Understand it. You understand it. And it, I'm going to see more. Yeah. So thank you. Becky. I found that a lot of times you can change that willpower into just a uh, gentle habit. Mm. Very simple. Doesn't mm. take a lot of effort. Right. Gentle just habits. Establish like the habits and uh, just in, in, in meditation, but also in the habit of how you look at yourself. But how you deal with other people. Uh, not so much what we and to think they work with you. Better for you. And it's based on the right view. Hi, Becky. Thank you, David. It was a really uh, wonderful sangha today. So many great um, sharings, I guess I will use that word. Uh, what, what you said that really hit me is we have no domain over dukkha. Powerful. <laughs> that is so powerful. You cannot wake. You cannot wake up and decide how you're going to feel at that moment. You cannot tell yourself not to get old. We just have no domain over that. And so. And that's what we cling to. And that's what we cling to. It's trying to. in any way, shape, or form, have domain over that is just, it's ridiculous. And it's not, and it's, just ridiculous. And it's not and uh, I just resignation. That, I it's, just love that word domain. Yeah, so John's yeah. used a couple different versions of sovereign. that. Sovereign, yeah. domain. I, I think last week I, I used boss of. Boss, I'm not the, the boss you know, of, right? the master of. <laughs> master of. They're all, and, but they're all descriptive of that we are not. We have no domain over it. And it's, a, it's not a re resignation because your example of, it, it, it's not a resignation like I'm not going to be ambitious because it doesn't fit right view. No, it's understanding. So it allows you that clarity to proceed without that second arrow all the time. Right. And that understanding gives you so much more vision to yeah. proceed. Yeah. You have a, a much wider view that you can proceed with with calm mm -hmm. and really with confidence in a way. If I can use that word. And those moments aren't wasted. Those that yeah. Mo that moment with clarity and right view is a moment that you're aware of, that you're aware that you're with Jennifer. And an offhand remark isn't taken personal. And you both you both realize that because you're both in this practice. And it's that wise restraint that takes place. And it's invisible to everyone around you, but that moment is shaped differently. So. Every moment when you're in my view is shaped differently. And that's all it is. It's just, I think of it as just like a 
Yeah. It's just like it's a, sort of focusing yeah or whatever at first it's a pause it's very it's very subtle yeah yeah it's a, at first it's a pause and then it's a shift in how you those moments aren't are, don't need the lifting of i'm in right view you just are yeah and exactly. and then again it's it's not a promise that you're not gonna have wrong speech but you're aware of it immediately and you have to examine what part of anger or conceit just like you know broke into that made you mindless versus mindful and it, it, it's a you know it's a powerful practice because okay. thank you thank you andrew uh, thank you for your teaching. I have nothing to add, and I'll at this point always Okay. Thank you for coming. Always enjoy it. Kevin. David, thank you for the teaching. Um, I think it's nice to sort of put this back in the box, kind of think about when the Buddha talks to, you know, Ananda or these other monks, there's a, there's a gentleness in his words. And I think if you think back to what did he say in the beginning of this, that the world is sustained by creative. We haven't been talking about that, but that that's what props up the world. That's what keeps the world going because there is ignorance, there is stress, there is dukkha. People's polarizing views, as the Buddha continues, my Dhamma avoids polarizing views. The view of there is no view, or the view there is my view, the I making, mm -hmm. which is the world. The world is I making it's all over the place mm -hmm. it's every moment that you attach to um and further when he says my dhamma was extreme views it's almost as if right you you know looking when we talked about the, the pillar and you talked about the building background i'm looking at this doorway here and you have no view you have you know the extreme eye view and this is what's in between this 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 is right view in here. Mm -hmm. The world doesn't see it. The world sees a door. The world sees no space in there. They see this and they see this. But when you have right view, you have a new opening into the world. You have right. the field of nice play. Yeah. You have the golden road. Mm -hmm. You have all these paths. You know, I, I deal with this every day. When yeah. you said, don't be hard on yourself, it's the fairway. <laughs> yeah, You're in the rough. You know, <laughs> you're hard on yourself. Somebody, take it easy. Let's get back. And enjoy ourselves in this moment, walking together, playing a game. And you probably do that every moment, subtly, every, all the time, every whole. In my own mind, when I hit a bad shot, or I have a bad thought, or I have a bad word, or I have a bad, it's it's just gentle. It's at ease, like you said. Everybody's been saying that. We just direct ourselves back. When in wrong view, what does the Buddha say? Enter and remain in right view. He's very direct. It's very calm. He makes it sound so easy. Right, but it makes. You know, it's the, very straightforward. The breath is metaphorical, but it, it's to say dukkha arises and passes away. It's impermanent. So understand it. Understand it. And that's the that's that insight. That that's the insight. That's the wisdom that we're we're yeah. developing. I mean, back to the doorway. Look, what is what sustains on the two extreme views? What's on top? Look. There's the craving. The world is sustained <laughs> by the two extreme views. There's your, That's great. 
it, it works together. Yeah. The Buddha is very brilliant. You know, these these words are not wasted. No, it's, it's just you can you can shape it when you're when you're able to understand this dhamma. It's, it's great. It's, it's it's not concrete. It's, it's very fluid. Yes, it's it's got many 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 facets to it, mm -hmm. and uh, we've done a very good job with that. Yeah. Thank you, David. Thank you, Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for your patience and understanding. Uh, John will be back Tuesday, so uh, we'll finish with. I don't know if we want him back. Yeah, <laughs> we did, but you did a great job, dude. We'll we'll finish with Karanita Metasuta. So get into your jhana mind state. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them do not the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all things be at ease, whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, David. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. See you in a little bit, Mayor. Thanks and bye, all. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Kevin. Bye, Adam. Great job, David. Take care. All right. See you soon. I'll talk to you. Okay. Thank you for your help. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.